Good morning. For those of you who don't uh, know, or, uh, know me, I'm Mike Murphy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Today is Communion Sunday. And through our prayers and the sharing of the bread and wine today, we are saying that we want to be joined to Christ and to each other. It is an opportunity to remember what God has done, what God is doing, and how many believe God is still going to be doing things from this time forward, right? Communion in our tradition is a sacrament. It's an outward sign. It's instituted by Christ to give grace through faith. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is present with us at this table, and so today we will approach it with great hope and joyful anticipation. Now, everything in this service has been designed, including this message, to point to the table. And I've chosen as a communion meditation one verse from the Sermon on the Mount because it seems appropriate to talk about hunger and thirst on a day when we come to this table to eat and drink. And this is the verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Will you read that with me? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The setting of the Sermon on the Mount is on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And chances are it was a fairly large crowd that was filled with all kinds of different people. There were men and women, boys and girls. There were seekers, the curious, and even skeptics. And Jesus is using very primal language in this verse uh, he, because he knows that he, he, he wants to drive something across. And so he goes with what somebody in that audience would know, and that's what it feels like to be hungry and thirsty. How many of you know what that's like? Right? Of course you do. I remember as a kid, if you can picture me as a kid, uh, I'd play baseball and basketball just about all the time. I mean, we'd leave early in the morning, and we'd head over to the baseball field, and we'd play not just one game, but two games or three games. And uh, at the end of the games, we'd just run to somebody's house, even if we didn't know them. All they had to have was a water hose on the front. I lived up right on the shores of Lake Superior, and we wanted to get a Lake Superior special, and so we would just soak ourselves, and as well as just drinking until our thirst was gone. Now, some of you might be saying, you weren't very smart, why didn't you bring water? And I didn't claim to be smart on this. And some of you might say, well, where were the parents? No, I lived at a time when they just said, leave. <laughs> Go, don't come back till, till, till dark, all right? <laughs> Which was kind of freeing, but you could get in a little bit of trouble that way. How many of you know what it's like to get a little preoccupied with something? Do you ever do that? And you forget about eating? You ever had that happen? And all of a sudden you go, wow, I'm hungry. And you go and get something to eat because you know that you have to be filled. I don't know if you've ever read the book Unbroken. Have any of you read that book by Lauren Hildebrand? Laura Hildebrand? It's the story of uh, uh, Louis Zamperini uh, and Laura Hildebrand. Oh, is she a good writer? I mean, if you haven't read it, I'd grab it because she just paints some wonderful pictures. She's a brilliant storyteller. Well, Zamparini 
during World War II, some of his mates spent 47 days on a raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And they didn't really have much in the way of food or water. Can you picture this? As days, the days pass, they grow increasingly hungry and thirsty, and the reader begins to feel that hunger and thirst. Page after page, Hildebrand masterfully paints a verbal picture of hunger and thirst. I mean, I, I had to go out and get a bottle of water and a sandwich just to read through it. You know, it was just, I was feeling it in a great, very great way. And if you ever saw the movie by the same name, Angelina Jolie lingers on those scenes. Uh, and, and it becomes almost unbearable to watch. That kind of hunger and thirst, the kind that we know, and even one that's a little bit more extreme, I think there's feelings that Jesus was trying to invoke on that Sermon on the Mount. It's as if he's saying, as much as you thirst and hunger uh, after going a long time without food or drink, that's how I want you to hunger and I want you to thirst for righteousness. Hungering and thirst speaks to necessity. Jesus is not giving us another option. <laughs> he says, well, here's one thing you can do. You can hunger and thirst. Oh, on the other hand, you could. You know, he doesn't do that, does he? He says, You're gonna hung- I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, righteousness is something that's spoken about all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 15.9 says, The Lord detests the way of the wicked. That's strong language, isn't it? But he loves those who pursue righteousness. I want you to notice that word pursue. Some of you men, my guess is, let me just see if I can see you. Lights are strong. Some of you men actually pursued your wife while you were, uh, you know, that woman that you're married to, right? 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 You just went after it (laughs) like crazy. Now, some of you have forgotten to keep pursuing, and that's why you're in the trouble you are. But, I mean, (laughs) it's a little marriage tip uh, goes along with this. But it was your singular focus. Some of you have diligently pursued getting a job after a layoff. You spent hours each day trying to figure out your next step. Some of the college students here went to great lengths to make sure their high school transcript reflected their deep commitment to leave home and to go to a very expensive <laughs> you know, school of higher learning. We know how to pursue things that make us happy or have an urgency to them. There's nothing passive about it. It's eyes on the prize, pedal pedal to the metal. We go after it because we know it just doesn't happen. When we are physically hungry and thirsty, we take care of it. And so we eat and, and we drink. But what about when we're spiritually hungry? A story is told, and I think we've told this before here, but that's all right, it's a good story. The story is told of a young student who went to his spiritual teacher and asked the question, Master, how can I truly find God? Great question, isn't it? The teacher asked the student to accompany him to the river which ran by the village and invited him to go into the water with him. When they got into the middle of the stream, the teacher said, Please immerse yourself in the water. The student did as he was instructed. Whereupon, the teacher put his hands on the young man's head and held him under, and held him under, and held him under. The young man is beginning to wiggle, (laughs) thrash, 
he'd do all kinds of things because he's been under a long time. When the master finally releases him and he comes up, the young man is, you know, splurting stuff, you know, all kinds of things. And he looks at the teacher and he says, why did you do that? And the teacher looked at him and said, when you desire God as truly as you desired to breathe the air, you just breathe, then you shall find God. Pretty dramatic, right? The pursuit of righteousness begins with a hunger and a thirst to find God. It's fueled by a desire to know God, to love him. It's what we're hardwired to do. God just built that into us. That's why spiritual masters keep saying that there's a restlessness and emptiness when we are not one with God. The scripture tells us when we go after such things, we will be called blessed. And we will be satisfied. We will be filled. It also says that if you pursue righteousness, you will probably be persecuted. (laughs) There's something to pursuing righteousness that's deep. It, it, it has, mm, that's, that's my word. Mm. I mean, it just has that. So what exactly is righteousness? Man, I kind of researched all kinds of, of things and finally decided to put a whole bunch of things together. And this is what I came up with that might help us define righteousness. A man or woman who pursues righteousness is someone becoming more Christ-like in attitude and outlook and in action and reaction. It's someone who wants to be in a right relationship with God. It speaks to intimacy. Righteousness also involves being in a right relationship with others. When someone pursuing righteousness sees injustice and pain in the world, they are moved to compassion, avoiding a rush to judgment. They want the world to be made right again, and they hunger and thirst for such things. They can't live without it. In other words, I think a righteous man or woman is one who hungers and thirsts to be like Jesus. And that hunger and thirst just drives them. And when we hunger and thirst for Jesus, who, by the way, is the model of righteousness, right? You don't have to look any further. Just go through the scriptures. You want to see what a righteous person like? Just go through the gospels and see what Jesus said and what he did and how he interacted with people. We hunger and thirst for Jesus. And we begin to, and then we, when we, when we, yearn for Jesus, we begin to see that all relationship, all vocational endeavors, all the things of this world, what we find in the midst of that relationship with Christ, we want all those things to be touched by Christ and redeemed by Christ. Are you with me? That's what happens. It's an inside-out kind of job. And the only way we can be righteous is to be in a relationship with a righteous God. And the only way we can have that kind of relationship is to recognize that we need him and then abandon ourselves to the Lord. When you desire God, you'll find God. When you find God, you will desire the things of God. Are you with me on that? Remember, it's an inside-out kind of thing. It's not an outside-in. So here's the question I want to ask. Does this describe you? (laughs) That kind of righteousness? Do you hunger and you, do you thirst for all the good things God wants to do in your life? If so, this table and this sacrament beckons you to come. It will be food for you or your journey. 
It'll be drink for you on your journey of faith. But there's a little bit of a problem. You see, sometimes uh, we get confused and we can hunger and thirst for the wrong things. And it wouldn't be surprised, it surprised me at all. There's people in this room that are here just because they realize they're kind of on a bad track. You know, we can pursue things that make us end up making us less Christ-like, less concerned about healthy relationships, more callous to the pain and suffering in our world. Maybe that's a description of your present reality. And if that's you, and I think that touch sometimes that's true for all of us, actually, right? We forget. As you come to the table today, as we come to the table today, we've got to just be aware that there's this thing called sin that sits on our shoulders and whispers in our ears all the things that we want to hear, not necessarily the things that God wants to tell us. Have you had experience with that at all? Have you? Today? (laughs) And that, that, that whisper says things like that. You don't need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Come on. You're leading a pretty good life already. Who does this pastor think you are? (laughs) You don't have time to hunger and thirst for righteousness. In fact, you better quit talking soon. I've got a 1030 tea time. (laughs) Sin says, hey, you didn't come to church to, to be made to feel guilty. It should be a feel-good time. What sin tries to do is persuade us that we're quite all right the way we are. It strokes us by saying, hey, you're generous, you're ethical, your kids look good, you rarely cheat on your golf game anymore, but what the heck, everyone does it. Sin tries to give you a different kind of scorecard and convince you that it's the right one. And sin gives us permission to be self-righteous. And self-righteous, the definition of that is you're just full of yourself. (laughs) Right? You're just full of yourself. And then you become a little bit too much like the Pharisees. And sin wants us to forget that Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And he said that our, in, 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 in another part of Scripture in Matthew, Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying the righteousness of the Pharisees is entirely too self-serving. And instead of pursuing God, sin asks us to resist God. And when we sense that in our lives, and this is very important before we head to the table, if we feel that's active in our lives, Scripture tells us what to do. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. What does it say next? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Read that. Let us throw, throw, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Some of us today... In this room, know that before we come to this table, we're going to have to have a conversation with God about our need to reject sin and his desire to have us come back into relationship with him. 
And if that's you, we're going to give you a chance to do that in a few moments. You're going to be able to come to this table with a clean heart to restart your journey with Jesus because we have a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances, right? Is that good news? I love that. The great author C.S. Lewis uh, knew very well what this uh, resistance, this sin kind of thing, and the call of God is like for our lives. And a lot of his writing deals with that. Uh, This is a a little episode from The Silver Chair. And and, and if you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis, the lion represents Christ and Jill represents us. It says this, when Jill stopped, she found she was dreadfully thirsty. She listened carefully and felt almost sure she heard the sound of running water. Jill looked around very carefully. There was no sign of the lion. So she plucked up her courage to look even further for the running water. And she came to an open glade and saw the stream bright as glass. Although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood still as if she had been turned to stone with her mouth wide open. And she had a very good reason. Just this side of the stream was the lion. And the lion said to her, Are you thirsty? And Jill said, I am dying of thirst. Then drink, said the lion. Well, may I? Could I? (laughs) Would you mind going away for a little while (laughs) as I do that? The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jesus, as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? And the lion said, I make no promise. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she took a step nearer. And she said to the lion, do you eat little girls? (laughs) And he said, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms. I dare not come and drink then. And then the lion said, then you shall die of thirst. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step further, I suppose I must go look for another stream then. And the line said, there is no other stream. There is no other stream. When we come to the table, we say we want what this communion represents. That we realize that there's a stream of living water. There's There's only a stream for that. There's one stream for that. We know that when we come, we can eat of the bread, the bread of life that satisfies our deepest hunger. When we come to the table, we realize all those things. And we say, we don't want to resist the things of God. We want what the Lord has to offer. Today, when you come to the table, I'm going to ask you to consider doing something. It's an option, but when you come to the to the servers, our elders. I'd love for you to come to the person with the bread and said, and say, I'm hungry. And they will say, the body of Christ, body of Christ given for you.
And as you come to the cup to say, I'm thirsty. And they'll say, the blood of Christ. Because that's what it is. We come best to communion when we're hungry and thirsty. I'm going to give you a moment here to take a moment to just kind of talk to God. For some of us, it's got to be a moment of silent confession and repentance to make our lives right with God. Whatever it is, the Lord is faithful. (laughs) He will hear what we have to say. He is a good God.